This is Anna Carmo with UN News. UN scientists on Monday delivered a dire warning about the impact of climate change on people and planet. The report launched by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, shows how climate change is affecting every continent. Although it is a global issue, its negative impacts fall particularly strongly on disadvantaged and poor people across the globe, who have the least ability to adapt. The comment is from Professor Mark Oden, Director of the Institute for Climate, Energy and Disaster Solutions at the Australian National University and one of the authors of the report. Professor Oden spoke to Julie Dean from the UN country team in Australia, explaining to her how nature can play a part in the solution and what other actions are needed. This report from the IPCC shows clearly that climate change is affecting every continent, every ocean and every sector, and most of those impacts are negative and they fall particularly strongly on disadvantaged and poor people across the globe who have the least ability to adapt and who haven't actually been the cause of the problem in the first place. So there's a justice issue there as well. And that's likely to accelerate as climate change gets worse if we continue to increase our emissions and our temperature. And those people are the least able to adjust. They have the least ability in terms of finance, often in terms of technological capability and institution and governance are often weak in those places. And so what we're seeing is those, those people get the raw end of the deal. And as I said, because it's really unjust because they often have only a tenth the per capita greenhouse gas emissions as people in developed countries like Australia. So then do we need to treat climate change like a global pandemic? No borders work together to reach a just solution for all? No one is safe until everyone is safe? There are elements of that because it is a global issue. So when we emit some carbon dioxide, say from a city in Australia, eventually that gets all around the world. So it actually spreads right through the atmosphere across the globe. It's what we call a well-mixed gas. And so that means we can only have a global solution if everyone behaves and if we solve this problem together. But the difference when we talk about climate adaptation is often adaptation, as distinct from emission reduction, is a very localised response. And so what you do in one suburb may be different from that in another. What we do in one country may be different in another because of the local context being different, different capabilities, different cultures, different social systems, different governance systems. So we do, I think, have to progress globally but as many people have pointed out, we also have to fix this locally. And can nature play a part in this solution? Now, clearly, uh, nature is part of the package of solutions. And this report did go at great length to actually lay out both how uh, nature can be affected by climate change and nature can also act to help us adapt to climate change. So one well-known example of this is if we take uh, floodplains and concreted river systems or, or, or water channels in urban areas. And instead, we take out the concrete, we put back the vegetation, we take out the houses and immediate infrastructure around that river system, and we convert it back to a natural system. And that slows down the water, it has more water retained in that system. And that means we get fewer floods that damage infrastructure and then have to be paid to get fixed up. And so this has worked really well in various places, such as in parts of Europe. And what other type of accelerated action is needed? 
Well, what we're seeing is there's a big gap growing globally between the adaptation action to climate changes that we need versus what we're actually doing. So that's what we call the adaptation gap in this report. And we see that that adaptation gap is actually biggest, again, in those countries which are least developed, uh, have most poor and disadvantaged people. But even in developed countries, we see there's a significant adaptation gap in many cases. And so there's a lot of room to move to reduce the impacts, the unwanted impacts of climate change, sometimes to enhance the desirable impacts of climate change. Uh, and so we actually end up much better off. We have um, better environments, better economy, healthier people with better livelihoods. And what do you need to close that adaption gap? Well, there's many things. Um, part of it is actually commitment, uh, particularly political commitment, which recognises that climate change is real, um, that it's actually pretty significant in the bigger scheme of things. And this is a many multi-decade uh, issue that we need to adapt to. So that means that when we put in a planning process for a new bridge or a new suburb or new houses, um, we actually start to factor in the climate some decades away that the, that piece of infrastructure may actually be existing in and have to deal with. And so, for example, there's no point in building a, a, a house which doesn't have good insulation, which doesn't have uh, um, sort of passive uh, heating and cooling properties, uh, because that will just end up increasingly requiring uh, energy in the future to cool it in summer, to heat it in winter, and producing greenhouse gases in the process. We can build much better houses, much better infrastructure, which has a lower environmental footprint and which is suited for the climate of the future, and we should be doing that right now. And this week, the United Nations Environment Assembly is in session. And one of its themes is nature for poverty, eradication, job and economic prosperity. And secondly, it is also the start of the Human Rights Council session. Is climate change action related to both of these areas? Absolutely. And so if we start with human rights, um, what I've spelt out before because of that, that sort of issue about disadvantaged people being hit the hardest, that's actually a, an equity and justice issue. That's a human rights issue uh, for many of those populations. And so um, I would actually argue that effective solutions to climate change on both the adaptation side and the emission reduction side are fundamental to actually making progress on human rights across the globe, just as they are fundamental to making progress on sustainable development goal achievement. Now, if we talk about nature, um, then clearly, if we actually start to think about different ways of doing things, such as um, in Australia using Indigenous practices for uh, burning management in our forests of the southeast, uh, that can do uh, several things at once. It can reduce the fire risk, it can reduce net greenhouse gas emissions, and it can, can provide uh, really solid employment, which recognises the skills and experience and knowledge of those people engaged in it. And so, so there's a win-win-win proposition there. And those countries who base their economies on fossil fuels and the broad use of land clearing, what could their future be? I think it's becoming increasingly under a cloud. Uh, very clearly, um, what we're seeing is a long-term shift uh, from away from fossil fuels 
uh, to renewables for many different parts of our, our economy. And that will only accelerate in my view. Uh, and one, one example of that is, is that, you know, we've had, had some resistance uh, to taking on electric vehicles here in Australia. They're expensive. We haven't got good policy support. We haven't got good infrastructure uh, recharging stations. But once you actually drive an electric vehicle, there's no going back. I mean, they are just a much, much better um, transport experience. Um, I, I've got an electric vehicle. I can, I can plug that into the electricity I get from my solar panels and essentially have free electricity instead of paying $2 a litre at the petrol bowser. Um, and and they're, they're much better to drive. They have much lower maintenance uh, costs than uh, petrol vehicles. It's just a much better solution. And, and I think increasingly moving towards green solutions will just be much better solutions in all respects. And it will become a no-brainer to actually make that move. And countries which don't do that will be left behind. And they will be, because they don't invest in their own research and development, they always will be importing that expensive technology from overseas and they will go backwards. And likewise, if you actually have uh, land clearing activities um, and similar things in your country, um, then that generates greenhouse gas emissions. And increasingly those greenhouse gas emissions will be worth dollars and it'll cost you dollars to do that. And so reducing that land clearing reduces those costs. And again, I think will become a no brainer for policy. And as a scientist, do you think misinformation plays a role in the slow pace of action? It certainly has in the past, and, and particularly at an industry and policy level, it seems to have, have uh, put the brakes on climate action. Um, and, and we all know the stories uh, about the denialist industries, uh, as they're sometimes called, um, throwing confusion, throwing uncertainty into the debate. Whereas in, in reality, uh, we've known for at least uh, 20 years uh, what the basic story is with climate change impacts on a country like Australia uh, and what we need to do about it. And so um, every year, uh, the information base just strengthens in relation to that. And so, so it's actually um, a very solid information base that we, we could operate from at the moment. And so the, the sort of um, confusion tends to try to blur that and, and take that away from people. And what can those of us listening do? Um, people are listening to us from around the, the world. Um, how can we make the science of the report the basis of our actions, uh, both in our everyday lives and also in our advocacy? Great question. Um, firstly, I think uh, that we can talk about this. Uh, we can actually... Um, have conversations with our family, our friends, our colleagues, our neighbours, and, and become very informed about climate change. So when we have those conversations, uh, we can actually put the facts into those conversations and move them forward on an informed basis. Secondly, I think uh, we can actually push um, the responsibilities for climate change instead of feeling guilt about what we eat or how we may live, um, we can do what we can about taking the edge off that and reducing our greenhouse gases uh, at home, for example, but we can also push the responsibility back up the channel towards industry and government, saying to companies, for example, I'm not going to buy your product until you get your act together and reduce those greenhouse gas emissions, or saying to government, 
Um, we really do want an integrated energy and climate policy, for example, and pushing that into the political domain. Uh, and so we elevate the responsibility rather than pushing down the responsibility, because ultimately it's a responsibility of all of us. It can't be at one level or another. It has to be at all levels. Do, do we have enough time? Time is running out if we want to keep temperatures down to 1.5 degrees. Uh, and that's the, the lower level of the Paris Agreement. And that's what the Pacific Islanders and other countries were asking for at Paris. Um, if we look at our greenhouse gas budget, we probably only have around about nine years uh, left of greenhouse gas emissions at their existing level before we run out of our budget that's consistent with 1.5 degrees. Um, those years will go by, you know, incredibly quickly. And, and I, I just, I'd love to think that we're going to make sufficient progress and take emissions down to the 45% below where they are now um, level if we're to get on target for 1.5. Um, but I'm just not sure that we're going to get there. So overall, are you an optimist? Look, I, I tend to approach things optimistically, um, but I also rationally uh, have very significant concerns about climate change. And so that's that balance of hope and optimism, which I think is really important um, if we to make action on climate change. And, and so I the reason why I think um, optimistically is that whilst I don't think we're going to act in a way that will uh, completely remove the risks of climate change, I think we will end up with significant climate change over and above what we've seen. I do think we will actually act rationally as a species and avoid the worst examples of climate change and the impacts that it has on people and on ecosystems and species um, and, and our economies and our way of life. And so, so I actually think that um, we should be positive about this, um, but we shouldn't be naive about this, uh, nor should we be complacent about this. We do need to take action. We need to take urgent action, um, and it has to be quite transformative action. Things will have to change. And with that change brings opportunity for those who are prepared and for those who are forward looking.